So we've been, uh, we've been on a, a track for the past few weeks and just talking about what it means to walk in newness of life. So like I said before, we've had a lot of salvations this year. We've had a lot of baptisms this year. And now it's start that we start walking in the newness, walking uh, in the new man. And we've done several uh, lessons on this. Today I want to do number five. And I wanted, uh, my message today is how the renewed mind thinks. How the renewed mind thinks. So last week we looked at Ephesians 4 about putting off the old, putting on the new, what it means to be renewed in the spirit of your mind or the attitude of your mind and what that looks like. But today I really want to look at how the renewed mind thinks. We're going to look, today will be a little bit different. We're going to read three stories that, uh, of Jesus and the disciples. So uh, probably a little bit more than I would normally do, but we're going to go to three different places today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, 8, and 16. That'll be the three, uh, three texts we'll look at. But let me ask you a question. Have you, have you ever been faced with a situation in life? Well, let's just say it's a financial situation, and you, you don't know what to do. You're distraught. You, you seek the Lord, you pray, you fat, whatever you do. And, and God gives you a breakthrough in that situation. Literally, a miracle takes place, and, and, and your life has changed, the needs met, maybe it's sickness, whatever it is. Anybody ever have God miraculously show up and deliver them, set them free, meet a need? I see a hand. That's pathetic. Now, that's good. That's good. All right, so... Have you now the next time that same situation come up, what did you do? Oh God, I don't know what to do. Right? You, 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 do we learn from the, the, the provision that was made? Or do we freak out the next time the same thing happens? I gotta admit, I freaked out a few times. I've been on the freak out end of the stick. But here's what happens when you're exposed to the supernatural. When you're exposed to God miraculously doing something in your life, it's not for the purpose of going, oh, wow, that was cool, but it really, God wants to use that to teach you something. It's actually, He uses those things in your life, not just to meet your needs, to meet other people's needs, but to also begin the process of changing the way you think. And see, renewing the mind, like I said last week, is not just about thinking positive thoughts but it's really changing the direction that you think from. That we're thinking from a different perspective. Not just thinking positive thoughts. It's not even really about good theology, although that's good. But it's changing the direction that we think from. And that we start to perceive things the way Jesus does, and not necessarily the way we do. So I want to start out today, I want to start out with uh, Romans 12 too, a very familiar verse. Uh, and we're going to springboard from there into uh, Mark chapter 6. So it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. Very familiar verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, a lot of times we stop right there and said, I understand that. So conform, to be conformed to this world has to do with the external. It's more of an external form or shape. And it says, don't be conformed to the world. You're, you're not of the world. Don't be conformed to it. Don't be formed by it. Don't be shaped by it but be transformed. Transform is something that takes place on the inside. It says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation will not take place in your life apart from 
the renewing of your mind. See, the day you get saved, you get born again on the inside. You get a brand new spirit. The old man dies. The new man's placed inside of you. But transformation in your life will not take place apart from renewing your mind. Paul says that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, it doesn't stop there. A lot of times we stop there. So what's the purpose of the renewed mind? What's the purpose of transformation? That you may do what? Well, it's right up there. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that the renewed mind produces a transformed life and a transformed life proves the will of God. What does that mean? So you think, well, I want to have a renewed mind so I can get smarter. Not about your education. I want to have a renewed mind so I can think positive. The positive thinking's good. I think it was Henry Ford. Anybody ever hear of Henry Ford? Anybody drive a Ford? No. <laughs> Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or think you can't, either way, you'll be right. If you think you can do it, you can do it. If you think you can't do it, you can't do it. You're going to be right either way. But positive thinking is not the end game of a renewed mind. To have good theology, that's great. It's great that you know verses and facts and figures and can quote this verse and that verse, but good theology is not the end game of a renewed mind. The end game of a renewed mind is to prove to put on display, to give evidence of, to demonstrate, to validate, to attest to, what? The will of God. Let's go to the next slide. A renewed mind transforms a life, and a transformed life provides irrefutable proof of God's will on earth. What's that look like? Well, I can tell you simply, it looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. So you heard Jeremiah telling about some miraculous things, deliverance. Uh, I, I, you guys, have, you've met uh, Fernando before from SOS, open blind eyes. That's putting the will of God on display. See, Jesus was the perfect will of God. Everything Jesus did, He heard from the Father or saw the Father do. Jesus was the Word in the flesh. Jesus was the will of God, you might say, in the flesh. So that if I'm going to have a renewed mind and a transformed life, it's not just so I can say, oh, i got a renewed mind. It's so that I can put on display and demonstrate what God's will is on earth. That's a little bit different than just getting smarter. That's living the book of Acts. A little bit different than being able to quote chapter and verse. And I'm all about that. But we're talking about if I'm going to walk in the newness of life, having a renewed mind that leads to transformation puts me in a place where I'm going to prove or put on display the will of God. So let me give you a little example of this. The word tra uh, transformation is the same word that was used to describe Jesus in His transfiguration. You guys remember that story? 
that Jesus was up on the mountain and said He was transfigured before them. And it said that His face shone like the sun and that His clothes were whiter than white. Or as white as light. So what Jesus, when it was transfigured, revealed and reflected the reality of a different world. Think about that. That the transfigured body of Jesus reflected and revealed the reality of a different world. Different than the one that they were used to living in. And I think that's what he's saying to our body today, is that we are today the body of Christ. And that we should, our lives should, reflect and reveal the reality of another world. And you got to say, does my life reflect the reality of his world or this one? What reality is my life reflecting? What world is my life reflecting? If somebody looks at my life, does it look like everybody else's at work? Or does somebody look at my life and say, you have demonstrated the will of God on earth so much that I can't have any choice but to say yes to Jesus? Or does somebody look at my life and they couldn't prove anything? They don't know if I'm a Satanist, Pentecostal, Catholic, they don't know. Maybe I'm a nothing. But your life, if your mind is renewed and your life is transformed, you will live a life that demonstrates God's will on earth. Jesus put it very simply when he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is where? Heaven, right? So very simply, Jesus was the will of God. Jesus demonstrated God's will. He, he looked at the model, heaven's our model, and he demonstrated that on earth. And any time he ran into a situation on earth that didn't look like heaven, he allowed the influence of heaven to come into that situation. That's the lifestyle we're called to. So, previous weeks we talked more about morality and different things like that that your lifestyle should reflect. Today I want to look at more on how I live that different type of lifestyle, that lifestyle that reflects God's will. So, last week, let's go to the next slide. I'll just touch this real quick. We talked about that Paul told the Ephesians, he says, I want you to no longer live or walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their what? Minds. We said futility means to be devoid or absent of truth. So that if I'm going to live a life that is, that is futile in mindset, it means it's devoid of truth, it doesn't bring Jesus into the equation, if you follow that verse through, it says because of, because of, because of, and eventually gets to due to the hardness of their heart. So I made a comment last week. I said that your mind will only be renewed to the level that you're willing to surrender your heart. That you can limit the amount of renewal that takes place here based on what you're willing to surrender to. See, I'm going to, whatever I turn my attention to, I become softened toward that thing. And whatever I turn my attention from, I become hardened to that thing. And so that if I choose to not surrender my heart, you can forget about renewing your mind. It's not going to happen. So having a hardened heart, a lot of times we think of a hardened heart, we think of uh, Pharaoh, right? And Pharaoh was a bad dude. He, he really uh, he put the, the Israelites in a, in a hard way. And it says that he had a hardened heart. Well, you can have a hardened heart as a believer. It doesn't mean you're going to hell. It just means that you're not going to experience life to the degree that God designed it. 
You're not going to live to the level that he created you to live to. And so that I want to look at a couple things today. Uh, we'll just, I know we're going to look at two. We may get to three. But I want to look at a couple things that give evidence of when Jesus corrects the disciples for having a hardened heart. Because I think if we look at these, you're going to find some areas in your life that you're like, you know what? Maybe I've hardened in that area. Maybe I've turned my attention away from Jesus in this particular area, and I need to soften my heart and turn my focus back and receive what He has for me. So I don't want you to feel—I don't want you to feel condemnation from this message. I want you to look at it as an invitation to step into what God's designed you to do, and I want you to really just let God's word just press into your heart. That verse in Hebrews says that the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of what? The heart. That God's Word actually can discern not only what you think about, but also the motives behind it, the reason you do what you do. And so I really want to just Invite the Holy Spirit to take God's Word today and really penetrate our thoughts and intents of our heart. To say, God, do I have a hardened heart in this area? And if so, what do you want me to do about it? All right, let's look at the first one. So this story, let's go to the next slide. This story takes place, it's right after the feeding of the 5,000. You guys alive today? I feel like I need to, I feel like I need to tell a joke. Right? I like a little laughter, a little fun and games. I'm drawing a blank on one, but if I think of one, I'm just going to like slide it in. All right? So you guys ready? All right. Right? feeling good? All right. Where's my water? All right, so this story takes place. Thank you. This story takes place after the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus sends the, uh, sends the disciples away. He tells them, he says, I want you to get in the boat. I want you to go to the other side. And we're going to read this story in reverse. We're going to read this passage, and then we're going to flip back and read the, the feeding of the 5,000. So he says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat, go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And then he saw them, I want you to remember this, he saw them straining at what? Rowing. He saw them straining at rowing. So, Jesus sends them out across the sea. He says, I'm going to take some time. I'm going to pray. And late at night, he looks out, and this storm comes up, and he sees them. Now, what are they? They're fishermen, right? They know how to navigate the sea. This is what they're trained to do. And he sees them straining at rowing. But he doesn't go jump in the middle of the situation. For the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And I, here's a phrase that we read over. And he would have passed them by. Now it doesn't. Now he saw them from the top of the mountain in the middle of the sea, which was like three and a half miles. It's seven miles across. So he can see three and a half miles. So it's not like he's just like taking a stroll on the water and he would, oh my gosh, there's the ship. I didn't even see it. So it wasn't that. It literally means that he intended to pass the boat by. He wanted to pass the boat by. His intention was not even to get into the boat. 
And you've got to wonder why if Jesus sees the disciples straining against the wind, rowing, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and He has the power to deliver them, why is His intention just to walk on by? Because He saw what they were going through, but His will was to walk by the boat. Now, He didn't get by the boat because they saw Him. Next slide. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. It's not bad enough that they're like sinking. Now they think they see, see a ghost. And they, and they saw him and they were troubled. Immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it's I, do not be afraid. Now if you read Matthew's version, this is where Peter also walks on the water. It's not recorded here. It said, Then he went up into the boat to them, the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Look at this, verse 52. For they had not understood about the loaves because what? Their heart was hardened. They had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. So when we read this, and we read that Jesus sees them in a situation, He walks down, is intentional on walking past the boat, not getting in it, i got to ask, what was it that they didn't understand? What was it about the miracle of the loaves that they learned or should have learned that they just didn't get because they had a hard heart? So let's go back. Let's read it real quick. Next slide. Now this is earlier in the chapter. It said, when the day was far spent, his disciples came to him and said, now I, I love, this is a totally different message, but notice how they focus on everything that's got nothing to do with anything when it comes to Jesus. This is a deserted place. The hour's late. We got no food. The people are hungry. Well, a matter of fact, they just ruined our vacation. Why don't you send them away? Because Jesus had actually called the disciples to go to a deserted place to rest because they just come back from their ministry. He sent them out on. John the Baptist had just been beheaded. He said, hey, let's go away and rest for a little bit. And as soon as they go to rest, people show up. So they don't really get the rest. And it says, when the day was far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. Already the hour's late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves some bread so they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, what? You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found, they said five and two fish. So, the point of this is, what they're not getting is, is he's trying to get them to participate in the miracle. If you read the other, another uh, gospel, it says that he asked Philip, and it said when he asked Philip how much he has, it said that Jesus knew what he was going to do. He, he was trying to, to bring them to another level of a renewed mind of understanding on how to participate and co-labor with him. Next slide. It says, then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the grass. So they sat down in ranks, hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed it, broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples to set before him. Uh, I think it's in Luke's gospel. It says that as he, he broke them, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. So what I want to point out here is, it says, two, let me just read this. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Jesus, so, so he says, what do you have? I don't know, 200 denarii. 
What do you, I want you to feed them. What do you have? And it says when they went out, they said, well, we got five loaves. And he said, bring it to me. And he took the loaves, and it says he blessed the loaves, he broke the loaves, and then he went, abracadabra! And mountains of bread appeared. No. That's not what happened. It says that he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and then he put it into their hand, and as the disciples passed it out, it continued to multiply. Do you see the difference? Jesus didn't just say, boom! Now he could have. He very well could have. He could have made like five loaves into 50,000 loaves right there. But he wanted them to learn how to co-labor with him. He wanted them to learn that, hey, I'm going to do the miraculous part, but there's a part that you play too. You have a role in the miracle. And the, the bread did not multiply when Jesus broke it. The bread multiplied as the disciples passed it out. It was like the widow's cruise of oil. As she kept using it, there was more and more and more. It didn't run out. And so, so much so that they go around and feed 5,000 people and they have 12 basketfuls of leftovers. What didn't they realize that they should have realized? Next slide. Remember this phrase? They will, they perfectly obeyed Jesus. They obeyed him. They did what he said. Let me leave you a little hint. Obedience does not lead to a renewed mind. It can, but it's not a guarantee of a renewed mind. If the obedience doesn't change you, you end up with a religious mind and not a renewed mind. See, what happened? The experience where he calls them into ministry doesn't change them. So what do they do when they get in the next problem? They revert back to what they knew. Gotta row, gotta row, gotta row. Oh, row. I was in this, uh, what was that, we, last fall. We were out, we had 20 people, we're out on uh, dragons on the lake. And we get this guy and we have 21 people in, the, in this ship. And one guy's, stroke, 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 stroke. Now, the other 20 of us are we're stroking, going across Rocky Gap. See, that's what these guys re revert back to. Jesus wants them to learn that when I give you a word, the word carries within itself the power and the ability to perform what it commands. That when he says, go across the lake, the very word, go across the lake, carries the ability to go across the lake. He doesn't jump in the boat because he wants them to learn to do what he's called them to do. See, the last miracle, he didn't reprimand them because they had no frame of reference to base it on. But now he said, hey, what do you have? What are you going to do? Here's the bread. I'm breaking it. You pass it out. It's multiplying as you touch it. Now when you get in the next situation, don't freak out. Don't go back to, oh, well, we have aged last time. I guess I'll go back to being religious. I better row more. I better pray more. I better fast more because i got to get God to move. 
If obedience doesn't change you, it will produce a religious mind, not a renewed mind. You'll start obeying God because you're obligated to, and not because you were designed to. Next slide. God wants you to recognize your role in the miracle. See, when all we do every time we get into a problem is cry out to God, we relinquish our role in the miracle. We've got to learn that He's called us into a lifestyle of co-laboring with Him. It really comes down to an aspect of stewardship, too. See, if I don't steward what God has already entrusted me with, do you really think He's going to give me more? If I give somebody a job that works for me, and I put them in as a manager, and they keep coming to me every day and asking me to do their job, how long are they going to have that job? Probably not long. Probably not a long time. See, the miracle they were in was training for the next miracle. And we just don't go through a situation in life where God does something in our life, supernatural, and just say, oh, that was great, check that one off, delivered that guy, healed that guy. God wants you to learn from it. He wants you to recognize your role in what He's called you to do. That you're there to participate with Him, not to like, well, I don't know, I guess i just go back to reading my Bible more, fasting more, praying more, giving more, and maybe God will do what He's going to do. Not how He wants you to live a supernatural life. Alright, next. Alright, Mark 8. So this one relates back to this. This, uh, this passage relates back to Mark 6 also. So this, this one takes place after the feeding of the 4,000. So just uh, your two chapters over. It says, And he left them, getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than, how much? One loaf. Now, they're getting in the boat. They got one loaf. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. So let me just make a sidebar here. A lot of times when we see the word leaven in the Bible, we think of sin. Leaven can be used. Uh, we don't use the word leaven anymore. What do you use? Uh, Fleischmann? Somebody yeast. Anybody break big bread anymore? Yeah, wine. I got wine. Whitney's a bread baker. Oh, yeah, obviously Lori Eby is a bread baker. Got, You've got to figure Lori bakes bread, right? So the Apostle Paul says that a little leaven or a little yeast, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So that you can put a little in, but as it gets worked into the whole dough, it penetrates the entire dough. So leaven just represents the influence on our mind. Leaven is influence. And he talks here, we're not going to teach on this today because it's a completely different teaching, but leaven of the Pharisees 
is really kind of what we just talked about. It's religious in nature. It's religious in nature. Remember, Pharisees were very religious people. Leaven of Herod, so one where it's like self-effort. That's how I like to think of leaven of, leaven of Pharisees, self-effort. The leaven of Herod is, I like to think of personally as self-centeredness or selfishness. Here's why. If I got one loaf of bread in the boat, the leaven of the Pharisees says, well, if we just pray more, fast more, go to church more, do more, give more, witness more, that one loaf will turn into two. Two will turn into four, based on what I do. The leaven of Herod's a little bit different. He takes that loaf and says, hmm, I only got one loaf, or you got one loaf, I'm going to take your loaf, because I only got one. You think about Herod was the guy that married his brother's wife. He married Philip, his brother's wife, and then, then John the Baptist went to him, called him out on it, and put John in prison. Eventually, John got his head cut off. because. So Herod, both of them are trying to, to meet the need in the natural realm, one based on the way that, that what I do, the other based on I'm just going to take from you and give it to me. Now, leaven, influence on the, we also have leaven of the kingdom, but leaven can be good or bad. And the thing that makes leaven activate is what? Somebody is a baker. Tell me, what activates the yeast? Heat. That's why when you mix the yeast into hot water, heat activates the yeast. So when the fire of tribulation, the fire of, of a situation come into your life, Whatever leaven is in your brain is what's going to rise to the surface. It's going to draw out and increase the very thing that you've sowed in here. So we've got to make sure that the influence that's going in here is the right influence. He says, I want you to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they said, they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have no bread, but Jesus being aware said, why do you reason because you have no bread, do you not perceive or understand as your heart so hard? Why do you reason because you have no bread? Why does your reasoning start with what you have in your hand? When I've been exposed to supernatural provision, I can no longer reason by what's here. Jesus says, why do you reason? Because you have no bread. Your reasoning can no longer start with what's in your hand. Because that's not how the kingdom works. Next slide. Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke five loaves, for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said 12. And when I broke seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said seven. He said to them, how is it you do not understand? Scripture memory does not automatically guarantee a renewed mind. If it doesn't change the direction you think from, you just acquired knowledge, but not transformation. See, they could recite the facts of the miracle. Jesus says, when I fed 5,000 with five loaves, how many baskets did we take up? 
Oh, 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 teacher, I got the answer. My Uncle Bill back there, he loves to do that. Oh, I got the answer, 12. That's right. And when I fed 4,000 with seven loaves, how many basketfuls did we take up? Ooh, seven. You know the numbers, you don't understand the point. See, what he's trying to get them to think through is that five fed 5,000 and there was 12 left over. 12 basketfuls. Seven fed 4,000 and there were seven basketfuls left over. See, we like to take and make equations out of Bible numbers. Well, if I had this and it does this, then I get this. Well, what God's trying, Jesus is trying to point out to them, hey, we started with less, we fed more, and we ended with less. A more. We started with less, five, we fed more, 5,000, and we were, had more leftovers after feeding more people. 12 basketball. See, numbers don't necessarily work in the kingdom the way they work here. And once you've been exposed to supernatural provision, you relinquish your right to reason from what's in your hand. Because it doesn't matter. See, the, the, the principles of the kingdom are different than the principles of the world. That's why Jesus says things like, if you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be first, be last. If you want to be exalted, humble yourself. That faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Because the relationships numerically, provisionally in the world, don't equate to those in the kingdom. The rules are different. So a couple weeks ago, Kristen and I got our West Virginia concealed carry permit. I always like it when somebody's packing heat at church. I was telling Jeremiah that this morning. It's like it's a good feeling. Bang, bang. <laughs> I'm just sending a warning out there. So we actually haven't got the card in the mail yet. But that's West Virginia. Almost heaven. You know, I'm, I'm from West Virginia. Of course, people from Maryland say it's called almost heaven because Maryland is heaven. Right? So if I have a concealed carry permit in West Virginia, guess where that doesn't work? Maryland. And if I have one in Maryland, guess where it doesn't work? Because the laws of one land don't apply in the other. Just ask Jeremy. Tried to carry that West Virginia pistol into Maryland. See here today. Oh man, I, I was going to mess with him. Go to the next slide. Renew mind reasons, not from what you have, but from what heaven has. See. It's not just that we think different, but the direction of our thinking changes. We think from heaven to earth. So I no longer get concerned or worried about what I'm starting with. What I start with is irrelevant. 
Because Jesus has taught me when I bring that into the kingdom, what I begin with doesn't matter. That there's always more than enough once the need's been met. You remember in the story when Jesus fed the 5,000, it says that he blessed it, broke it. I remember teaching on this before. It said that he looked to heaven or toward heaven. A lot of times we think that he blessed it, broke it, and did the, oh, did the Jesus look up to heaven? The words in Greek, anablepo and ace, actually mean that he looked into heaven. And the picture is, is that he's not concerned that he has five here because he's got five billion there. So the resources of heaven are not just enough, but they're always more than enough. And that God doesn't meet your needs out of what you have. He meets his needs out of the riches of in heaven in Christ Jesus, which is way more than you'll ever need. You start your reasoning from there, not from here. All right, last one. So you'd think after being with Jesus for three years, the disciples would get it. I haven't got it. Anybody here got it yet? Yeah, we're all working on it. So on Resurrection Day, they still don't have it. Imagine that. He asked to whip them up again. She, speaking of Mary Magdalene, it says, she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. So here they are, another, another, oh my gosh, he's gone for good. Now he just told you he was coming back. He just said, I'm coming back. I'm going to be gone three days. I'm coming back. But what do they do? They get the next, next. oh, it looks like another loss. Looks like another failure. And when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen by Mary Magdalene, they did not, what? They didn't believe her. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest. But they didn't believe them either. So Luke 24, you can read this story. It's about the two guys on the road to Emmaus. Jesus walks with them, and they realize it's him. So they go back, and they tell the, the disciples, hey, we saw Jesus. He's alive. Magne Mary Magdalene, I saw Jesus. He's alive. Whatever. Whatever. I don't believe it. I know that God said He's coming back. I know what His Word says, but I haven't experienced it for myself. Therefore, it must not have taken place. So you might hear a story this morning of deliverance of a 17-year-old girl getting delivered of seven demons by name. Well, that never happened to me. It must not be true. I know God says that He delivers and heals and saves, but I never saw it. Don't feel bad. The disciples didn't believe Him either. And they were with Jesus three years. 
later, verse 14 here, appeared to the eleven. So a lot of times, you know, Thomas gets a bad rap, right? Matter of fact, I feel like Trump was around in the first century because he would have called him Doubting Thomas. He likes to put an adjective in front of everybody's name. But Jesus never called him Doubting Thomas, but we call him that. But it was, you know, Thomas gets this bad rap. But really, listen to this verse. It wasn't just Thomas. Jesus appears to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe the words of those who had seen him after he had risen. So here's the challenge. Sometimes we think because of the position or office we hold in the church that the breakthrough that somebody else had certainly couldn't happen to them because they're not as spiritual as I am. They're not as seasoned as I am. They're not as mature as I am. And therefore, it can't be true. That's a hard heart. Here's a 21-year-old man that surrendered his life to the Lord and has experienced more than most of us have in our 50, 60 years. But too often, we get on our high horse and think, well, if it didn't happen to me, it must not be true. I don't care what God's Word says. And here's what we do. This is the problem. So, anybody that's ever prayed for sick people, at some point in time, you've probably had some breakthrough and you've probably had some heartache. Right? That's a disappointment. Matter of fact, the only people other than Jesus that ever bat a thousand on praying for the sick, you know who it is? The people who don't pray for the sick. And frankly, they got a lot to say about the subject. They got a lot of criticism and critique, and they don't do it themselves. But here's what happens. People will create a teaching that says not all people you pray for will be healed. That's wrong. That's wrong because it reduces the standard of Scripture to our experience. Anytime my experience doesn't line up with Scripture, I need to reevaluate my experience. I need to learn with a renewed mind and a surrendered heart that when my experience doesn't meet the standard of Jesus, doesn't reflect heaven, doesn't reveal God's will on earth, that I need to start figuring out how I'm going to raise my experience to the level of the standard of Scripture instead of bringing the standard of Scripture down to the level of my experience. Don't create a theology that gives exceptions to your failures. Get in the Bible. Get in the Lord's presence. Ask Him, what did I miss on this one that I can get right the next one? Or what did I get right in this one that I can walk in that again in the next one? Last slide. Renewed mind receives testimonies in line with God's Word, even when they conflict with my own experience. 
The disciples had the word on Jesus' resurrection because he told them. Matter of fact, the angel told him that morning, said, go tell him that Jesus is going to come see him. But when somebody else's experience, although it lined up with God's word, didn't meet their experience, they rejected it. See, sometimes you got to get around people that are having breakthrough in an area if you want to get breakthrough in that area. Because they've tapped into something and God's probably put them in a place to help you get there too. See, too often we'll say, oh, well, he's too young. He's only 21. Or she was too bad. She was a hooker. Or they've only been saved for six weeks. What could they know? She had seven demons. Oddly enough, Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her. He's not an apostle, and I am. He's not a pastor, and I am. She's not an evangelist, and I am. Forget it. Get off your high horse. All right. Let me pray for you guys. Did I get something today? All right. The three things. You need to learn from your past experiences, provision, miracles, deliverance, whatever it is, so that you can recognize your role in the next one. Jesus wants to partner with you. I know he tells us to heal the sick, and you're like, well, I can't heal anybody. The powers, his, he's the power source, but he uses your hand. You've got to recognize your role. You've got to quit reasoning from what you have or don't have, and reasoning from heaven to earth, looking at the resources that Jesus has and not what you have. And then you need to learn to receive the report and the testimony from somebody else that's been there. That lines up with God's word, even when you haven't experienced it yet. Stand up. So this, like our, our series, is more for believers, but I do want to ask you, I ask every week, we had a gentleman come forward last week, give his heart to the Lord, we've had lots of people get saved this year. If you're here and don't know Jesus, you don't know what it means to have all your sins completely forgiven, um, and you just want to make him Lord of your life, start a brand new life. If that's you, if you don't know Jesus and would like to know Jesus, just, just want you to give me a little hand wave. I don't see anybody. That's good. We're all saved. At least you're telling me you're saved. I just want to pray today. Let's just pray corporately. Let's hold our hands up. We've been doing this the last couple of weeks. Let's pray. I want to pray for renewed minds. Matter of fact, let's do this. Put, put your hands on your own head. Don't put your hands on your neighbor's head. They may not like that. I want, let's just say this. Holy Spirit, 
Help me to have an open heart to be sensitive to Your Word, sensitive to Your voice, obedient to Your leading, and learning from Your direction. Help me to be a student. Not just to know it, but to walk it out. Father, I receive all that You have for me today. And I surrender to Your will. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. God bless you today. Have a great day. Uh, before you guys don't leave, I want to ask Jeremiah to go run to the back. So if you want to connect with him and say hey and